0: thought about how there is power in sharing your story. Well, as the host of the Power of Investing in People podcast, I share my story and other people's stories all the time. In fact, I am celebrating this season 9 as the 204th episode. I didn't even realize I had 200. I literally it bypassed It went by so fast. I can't believe it's been four and a half years since I started this journey. And uh, it's been amazing. The guests that I've had have just been absolutely incredible. The team that I work with, with Heroes Media Group, have been nothing short of a blessing, really. I mean, truly honored to be connected to and being able to have the people that I've had on my show. It's been really, truly a blessing. And I know that out of those 204 episodes, I've continued to give you little little snippets of my own story. And I have shared my story in other people's podcasts and realized I haven't really shared it for you, my audience. So buckle in, um, sit back, grab a cup of coffee or a cup of hot tea or or your favorite beverage and hopefully you're not driving and if you are you know hopefully you're not drinking and driving but you're just enjoying hopefully it's a good story but it's my story and it's something that i like i said i haven't really shared the whole story with my audience and i think now is time as i am recording today it is the end of may 2023, and it has been three years since I've lost my brother to COVID on Memorial Day of 2020. And I decided that I wanted to honor him by honoring me and by honoring my story and sharing it with you. And a couple of things that I completely wholeheartedly believe is that when we share our lessons learned from the obstacles that we've overcome, we ignite a tiny spark of hope, love, connection, and community in others. And when we ignite that spark, the whole world lights up. And that's the power of investing in people. And that is why I decided to start this journey back in 2018 my goodness, so much time has flown by. And I just want to say, you know, I am not the person that I was and the person that I am now is a healed version of myself. So I'm going to share. And before I do, let me give this disclaimer that this might be a trigger warning for some people. I'm going to say some things that um, might, put them in a, back to their own trauma, their own experiences, their own circumstances that they have experienced. And I, my, my, my goal is to not trigger anyone. My goal is to give you permission to heal, permission to grow, and most importantly, permission to thrive. Because if I can overcome Abuse, addiction, anger, depression, low self-worth, and being a bully and being bullied, then so can you. You can transform all of that trauma that you have been through and turn it into a treasure. And I know because if I can do it, then I know you can too. So let's start by... Saying about, uh, gosh, where do I want to start? I'll start with starting with at age 11, I got drunk for the first time. And it was my oldest brother's graduation party. We had a kegger. That was the Midwest thing to do is when people graduated, you had bought kegs and had everyone come over and celebrate. And that's Kegs, K-E-G-S, not cakes, C-A-K-E-S. So just to clarify. And I was a little jealous that everyone was drinking and having a great time. And I'm a little kid. I'm 11. I'm the little sister and I'm kind of shunned away. I'm kind of pushed away. And so I think the, that my ego was hurt. I think I was, you know, feeling, uh, I'm sure now I look back at this. It's some first time I'm sharing it um, aloud, so I'm, it's definitely vulnerable. I'm probably almost positive that I was feeling abandoned, and so I knew I didn't want to feel that anymore. So there were two bottles of Boone's Farm wine in the refrigerator where we kept all, all of the my dad's beer. There was also wine, and so I drank two bottles of wine at age eleven. And I really feel as if that was just the beginning of, of the myriad of things that happened to me, even though I started drinking at age 11, it wasn't the first time I drank. I used to sit on my dad's lap as a little girl and take sips out of his beer and I think it was, you know, part of our bonding experience. And then I remember my mom, she would go, okay, that's enough. You're, she's getting giggly. We can't have this anymore. And I really can even think back today in this moment. And I'm probably between three to five years old. And I can sit and think back to that moment and remember how good that beer tasted to me. Now, most people don't like the taste of alcohol. They don't like the taste of beer. And unfortunately, that's what I really liked. I loved the taste of it. So I think seeds were planted by the the enemy, the devil, whatever you want to call him. For me, it was the enemy. He planted seeds along the way growing up. And now here I am 11 years old and I am getting drunk, like literally getting drunk. And just a, several months later, I hurt my knee and a, not just hurt it. I broke my knee in a accident on a cheerlead, in a jogging trampoline, you know, those little ones that you used to have in your house, or you could, you know, we, me and my friend, we were doing cheerleading jumps, practicing cheerleading jumps on it. And when I landed, my knee locked up, it didn't bend correctly. And so the point of the, I believe it was the tibia, which is the big weight bearing bone in your, your leg broke off and it got lodged into some tissue, but it just was kind of hanging there. And I remember I couldn't even put any little tiniest bit of weight on my big toe. And that's how excruciatingly painful this was. And I was sick at home. Uh, for six weeks. It happened during Thanksgiving vacation. And I didn't go back to school until after Christmas vacation back in January. And the reason I did that was because one, it was very hard for me to maneuver the, the crutches. Two, I had gotten such bruises underneath my arms from where the, the tops of the crutches went. And second, I was sick. So the pain meds made me sick. I vomited a lot, super nauseous. Uh, I was miserable. And then one day I was like, mom, these pain meds aren't working. We need to do something else. She called the doctor, the doctor put me on something else. Um, I took that. And, I, and then I had this major allergic reaction where I was just itching all over my entire body. Like hives had broken out everywhere. And she said, I don't know what to tell you and said, just quit taking them. And so now here I am about 12 years old, lying in bed day in and day out. It's winter in the Midwest. It's isolating. I'm not around my friends. In fact, I lived in the, in the country and back then it was to call friends. It had to be long distance. And of course, we never had money for that to call long distance. So don't do it. And vice versa. Our friends didn't have money. To call long distance as well. So it was very isolating. And I really remember lying in bed, crying day after day after day, begging to die, just begging for the pain to stop. And it wasn't just the physical pain of my knee. I really believe I was begging for the hurt that was deep inside my heart that I didn't realize. To stop. That's what I was really begging to stop. And so jump ahead. I healed. I went back to back to school. And uh 13 happened, 14 happened. I'm in 14. I'm in, I believe, um maybe a freshman in high school at this point. And one of my best friends and I, and she's still my best friend today, but man, did we cause a lot of trouble together? And have so much fun and yet so much trouble and we started smoking cigarettes and we started smoking cigarettes in a barn which if you are a city person you don't understand you might not understand this but smoking in a barn is probably the stupidest thing anyone can do and yet thank god we did not light it on fire in fact we weren't just we weren't just smoking in the barn We were taking lighters to the spiders that had spider webs in the barn, and we were lighting the spiders on fire again, so stupid. Um, But then, about uh, right around that time, she decided to move away. And I honestly was devastated. And again, I look back and I'm like, man, here comes that abandonment issue again. Here comes that abandonment feeling again that I didn't want to feel. So, sophomore year, She moves away over Christmas vacation, our sophomore year of high school. And in January, I hit the ground running at school as on a mission that I was going to drink every day and drink away all the pain. And I know that sound might sound silly to you, but that's what my story was. I started drinking every single day. It was probably close to about a six pack of beer after school, if not a six pack, it was at least one or two. And then on the weekend it was Friday night it was a case of beer or a 12 pack of beer. And then Saturday night, it was either a 12 pack or a, a case, or we went to someone's party, went to a, a keger, and I just drank and drank and drank. And I remember waking up with hangover. That was so sick. I was shaking. I was nauseous. I was dry heaving. And I really feel looking back that I was just trying to, to end it. I was trying to let go of, of the pain. I was trying to numb. So I didn't have to face what was going on. I didn't have to share. I didn't have to be vulnerable with anyone and really tell them what was happening. One day I remember I was sitting in my, I had this beautiful uh, desk that was actually handed down for me for my older brother. And, and, Uh, had a desk and I had propped up a mirror so I would sit there every morning and I would do my makeup and and my hair and and uh, that was when big hair and hair lots of aquanet and hairspray and lots of black and blue eyeliner and mascara for days was going on and so I was sitting at my desk one day getting ready for school and I thought you know it would be really good right now some brandy Mm, I know not smart. I never said I was smart during all of this time of my youth, but I went, snuck down to the, to the cabinet where the brandy was and got a little poured some in a a coffee cup. I believe went back to my room and I started to sip on that brandy while I put on my makeup. And, and at one point I was just staring intently in the mirror at my own eyes and I just had this voice come to me and say, just keep drinking and end it all. There's no reason to live anymore. Just keep on drinking. And I remember sitting back and I'm thinking, got it, devil, got it. You, you're you talking to me. Okay. And i did i drank a lot until school was out for the summer of that year and then i slowed down again and then 16 happened i'm now a junior in high school and everything seems to be going okay i'm still drinking i wasn't drinking daily but i was still drinking a lot on the weekends and then in february i had went to a party just had a few beers in my mind just a few beers and decided, okay, it's time to go home. And I thought, you know what? I think I left my purse at their house. So I came to a stop sign. I stopped and then I took a right and I pulled into this gas station, went back around. And when I pulled into the gas station, I reached under my seat and went, got it. That's where I stuck. My purse It was under my seat. So then I go back to that same stop sign and I slow down and stop. Or so I thought, and I turn on my turn signal and I turn left. And as soon as I turned left and hopped over this little hill, there was flashing lights behind me. And I was terrified because I thought, oh my God, I am screwed here. I've been drinking. What are they going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Long story short, I got arrested for a DUI. Um, the sad part was is that my dad, was his birthday, and so he him and my mom had been out celebrating, so he had been drinking as well. And he had to come and pick me up from the the police station. In fact, he didn't just pick me up from the police station. He met me on they met me in the police on the side of the road so he could drive my car. And I rode in the back of the police car to the police station, and I'm literally just sitting there thinking, praying. I hope that he doesn't have to have a breathalyzer. I don't know how much he drank. I don't know what their circumstances was, but I just thought, oh my God, I hope he's okay enough to drive. And so I got my, went to the police station. I got my rights read to me. I had um, my fingertips printed, you know, fingerprints done. And we got in the car and drove home and he didn't speak to me. And my dad was a yeller. He was boiling mad most of the time. That's the only emotion that I ever saw him show until later in life. I never knew what love looked like from him. And so to not have him yell at me on the whole way home was completely terrifying and unnerving. And I was just confused, like this is not his normal self. And so we go to bed or I go to bed and the next morning I get up and it like the soberest moment I've ever had in my life. I realize what happened. Oh my God, I got a DUI. And here I have been thinking about what does it mean to be humble? And I realize what it means to be humble is first, you might have to be humiliated. And at that moment, I was completely and utterly humiliated by my actions of getting it pulled over for drunk driving. It didn't cross my mind that I should be humiliated for drinking. It was humiliated because I got caught. And I decided at that moment, I said, you know what, God? Now, mind you, I had grown up in the church my entire life. I had always pretty much gone to Sunday school every Sunday. Um, if not, it was a rare occasion cause our parents made us go. And so I was a believer. And at that moment at 16 years old, I said to God, you know, I get it. I've screwed up my life. I'm handing it to you. You can do with it what you want. I'm done. I'm done with it. And I go downstairs and talk to my mom and my dad wasn't there. My mom was so mad, but she didn't, she didn't yell at me either. Other than she said, you, how could you be so stupid? And that was something that she said to me on a regular basis, even as a little child, how could you be so stupid? So I wasn't surprised by her reaction, but then I asked, I said, is dad upset? And she said, oh my God, he's so mad. So then about 15 minutes or so sitting there in silence with them, with her, um, my dad shows up um, my dad said, I have something for you. He handed me a case of cough drops and he said, I've been told by the men at the coffee shop that if you put a cough drop in your mouth when you get pulled over, that it throws the breath breathalyzer off. So you don't get a, you don't get a reading, a correct reading. So um you could use this for next time. Hm. I didn't understand at 16 what, what that really meant. I didn't get it. It wasn't until I was in my thirties when I was reading the book Boundaries that my parents didn't even know how to parent. They didn't know how to nurture. They didn't understand what discipline was in, in, in that kind of way. They didn't understand that, you know, maybe they should have asked me why I was drinking in the first place. And instead they didn't. They never addressed that. Not once. They addressed, in case you get pulled over again, here's some cough drops. So I will say that um I wish my story was clap my hands and everything was better and yay my life changed around and all of a sudden I'm living in technicolor like the wizard of oz that's not the case at all <laughs> it never is it was just another seed that was planted right another step and so then after that um I had so much happen I had community service I was on probation I had to do AA and I didn't just have to do AA with the court system. I had to do AA with my school, so many things. And again, none of them were really, really diving deep or asking the harder questions of what, what really motivated me to drink? What motivated me to start drinking? Why wasn't I willing to share my feelings? What was really going on? And up until then, I really wasn't I mean, it wasn't, again, until my 30s that I wasn't even really willing to talk about it. So I go through high school somehow during the summer of my, right before my senior year. Now, uh, my dad decides to leave. Now, here I am, 16 years old, don't have a driver's license because that got taken away. He got laid off on a Monday And on Wednesday, he was supposed to, or on Wednesday, he came home. He was driving back from Ohio. And on Thursday, he was to take my mom to her friends. She was going on a women's retreat for my mom's business. And he was supposed to, quote unquote, watch me. You know, he was the parent. So he was supposed to parent me that weekend. Since, you know, I'm 16 and don't have a license. If I needed anything, cook for me, whatever, you know, be the parent. And instead he goes and drops her off and comes home. And he says to me, uh, I think I was in, I don't remember if I was in my pajamas. Like I literally, so many things I don't even remember anymore. He said, I'm leaving. I said, Oh, where are you going? And he said, no, I'm leaving. I said, okay, where are you going? And he said, no, I'm leaving your mother. I said, what? you're leaving. Why? And he proceeds to tell me, you know, if I don't leave, I'm so depressed. I'm just going to commit suicide. I, you know, I travel all through the week, Monday through Friday, and then I come home in the fields and, and I am every single day I'm on the road. And I think, man, I could just run head on to this, this semi and end it all. And it wouldn't be any big deal. And I was like, what? You're, you thinking about committing suicide? What? And he said, and if I don't leave, I, you know, I, I just can't take it anymore. It's just, that's what would end up happening. And I said, why, why would you do that? And he said, well, you know, I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy with your mom. And, you know, here I am, 16, being the child. So I don't really get it. And I said, why? Why aren't you happy? And he said, you know, I'm really embarrassed by how she looks. She's just gained too much weight. In fact, I was at a, a gathering and with some other farmers. And this guy said to me, hey, when is your wife due? And he said, do. She's not pregnant. And he goes, oh, and I was so embarrassed at that moment that I just knew there's no way your mom would be able to lose weight. I've asked her time and time again to lose weight and quit eating and she doesn't. And I i am so embarrassed. I just can't, I can't be here anymore. And one day when you lose 50 pounds, you'll meet a gut husband. Huh. Here I am 16. Just trying to understand why my dad thinks he's leaving, needs to leave, and needs to abandon me once again. Here I go again, abandonment issues. And he not just talks about my mom in such a horrible way. He's now talking about me. I honestly didn't know how to process that. And there are times where I think about it like right now, and I'm like, I still don't know how to process that. I still don't know how to process what it must have been like for him to be going through what was going through his mind, what he was going through, what depression had he hit, what demons, what enemies were was he fighting? What fear was he experiencing that he decided to put down his 16-year-old daughter and and then abandon her. I don't know, and I'll never know. And the conversations that we had later in life, I don't think he understood the magnitude of his decisions, nor did he understand himself why he did what he did. However, what he did experience was a lot of guilt and a lot of regret for making those decisions. I can tell you that. So now here I am at 16, uh, home alone. And of course I don't have a driver's license, but I have a friend that has a driver's license and I could drive the back roads to her house and pick her up and then she can drive. And that's what we did the whole weekend. You know, I took care of myself. I parented myself and, um, and then when my mom came home i i had to inform her what happened i had to inform her that her husband left and i had to watch my mom fall apart and i took care of her i made sure that she ate i made sure that she you know bathed and took care of herself and and it was just so much my dad told me that if you, when I leave, I'm going to pay you child support, but you have to be working. You can't just go to school. You have to be getting a job. And then you, when you go to college, you have to get a job and, and do all of that. And then I can, I'll pay you child support. And during this time with my mom, you know, she didn't understand why I was getting money and she wasn't. And truthfully, I'm 16. I'm a kid. I'm a kid. What do I know? She and they, him, they should have fought it out in court. And instead they didn't. They left this all, this huge responsibility on my shoulders. And I didn't need, I didn't want it. I didn't need it. I needed to be a kid. I needed to enjoy my senior year of high school. And instead I spent most of it in tears. Most of it take care of my mom. I did not drink as much. I did slow down even more. Um, and focused on my studies and somehow, miraculously, maybe the teachers felt sorry for me because they knew what happened. It was a small town. I graduated with a 4.0. I graduated with honors my senior year. Got scholarships to go to a community college. At the time, I was like kind of lost, it wasn't until my junior year before the DUI. I thought, you know. Maybe I need to go into computer science, get my PhD in computer science and move to Japan because that's where technology was built back then. And truthfully, um, my parents had no advice for me for what direction to go. They just said, find a job that makes the most amount of money. That's it. There was never find what you like. What do you enjoy doing? Just look for the money. So I'm going to jump ahead here because of time, but also I really want to get down to the point of all of this, of my, of my life. (laughs) There's a point to, to all of this, just like there's a point to all the things that you guys go through that anyone that's listening that has experienced childhood trauma or childhood experiences, like out of the norm although what is normal these days out of the ordinary, we'll say that those experiences shape your adult decisions. So here I am, I graduated high school, went to college, quit college. My dad said, you're more than welcome to move here. We found that he had moved to a a bigger city about four hours away. And so I moved out with my girlfriends, lived off my savings and partied and became something that, you know, I really looking back, I was like, again, making really stupid decisions and hanging out with questionable people, making questionable decisions, doing things that I would be arrested and taken to jail for, for a long time, if i had ever gotten caught. And thank God, I didn't. I knew I was getting into a depression at that point. I knew that my direction in life. If I didn't do something drastic, I was going to be dead in jail or a single mom. And I didn't want to do any of that. I wanted something more. And so finally, the day after my 19th birthday, packed up my stuff in my little car and I headed off to the big city to live with my dad. And four hours later, I arrive at his house and he wouldn't even let me unpack my car until he said this. He says, you have a week. Decide what you're going to do. Either you go back to school or you get a job. And if you don't do it in that week, you have to go back. Whew. And I knew I didn't want to go back. Out of the all the friends that I had, all the f- friends that became family that I was running around with, no one except two people encouraged me to move. Everyone else said, don't do it. You'll, you'll hate it and you'll only remove back. And I knew that I wanted to prove them all wrong, that I had to get out and that I was going to make something of myself. I just didn't know what it was. So here I am looking through the phone book, because that's what we did back then. And there was a school. And so I looked at the school and it was just like the college that I'd been in. And I didn't want to go back to that. I didn't want to be put in a box. And so I went to the next school and the next school was a cosmetology school. And I love doing hair and makeup and doing all my friends hair and makeup before dances since from junior high, middle school on. So it was something that I was excited to learn and do. And so I did that. I went to school for cosmetology and then I went back and got my instructor's license and taught cosmetology school. And then I went and worked in a salon where I was an educator. And at the end of that 10 year stint with that corporate salon, I was an educator of all three. But at one point, all three salons and then all two of the salons closed and merged into one and, and, um, wow, what a career. And yet during that time that I was just graduated, uh, instructor school, uh, to teach cosmetology, I, you know, really, uh, Wanted to be in a relationship at that time. And sure enough, the first guy I found that fit the bill, who was man of my dream, so to speak, said, Absolutely, I want to be in a relationship. That's what I've been looking for, too. And we became the best drinking partners uh, in town. And that's when I, I didn't know that my life was going to change once again. And so about six months in, I had a run-in with him and that run-in was he, we were supposed to hang out and we hung out every Wednesday and Saturday night because he worked overnights and those were his two nights off. And those are just happened to be, you know, ladies night on Wednesday nights and Saturday night at the bar. So we go out dancing and we'd always have a great time every single Wednesday and Saturday. Remember, we were drinking partners and on Saturday, one Saturday night, I called or I called his pager because that's what we had back then. And he didn't return his call, return my call. So I called his apartment and it sounded like there was a party going on. And I was like, wait, how have we been together for six months? And you didn't tell me there was a party. You were having a party and you didn't invite me. Okay. And then all of a sudden this woman's voice says, is that your girlfriend? And I was like, what, what is that? Who is that? What is happening? And I freaked out and I was like, absolutely not. And I went over there to confront him, to confront her. And there was no party. The party was gone. Um, No one was there. Um, No cars there. It was surreal. And I didn't understand manipulation. I didn't understand gaslighting, didn't understand narcissists. I didn't understand any of that until really just a few years ago, but um, that's what happened. And so then I said, no, I'm done. And I didn't listen to that, that, that intuition instead about six months go by uh, being apart from him. And a friend of mine said, oh, I ran into him and uh, he misses you so much. He asked about you. He loves you. He wants to see you. He would love to get back together, blah, 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 blah. And of course that just pulled on my heartstrings because isn't that what we all want in life is to just have someone love them. And since I didn't ever get that from my mom and dad, I would find it anywhere. And so I reached out to him. And we got back together. And uh, a few months later, he tells me, or a few weeks later, I think, uh, he tells me, by the way, I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay, what? And he said, "Um, uh, while we were apart, I got someone pregnant. I'm going to have a baby here in a few months. And I want you to be the stepmom. And you're going to be a part of this kid's life. And we're going to make it work. And the three of us together and blah, 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 blah. And all the promises he could think of that he said at that moment. And I was like in shock. I didn't know what to think. And then came the, you know, inclusivity of being part of a family. And he, again, knew the exact string to take and pulled on, oh, we would be just this amazing family and have so much fun together. And you would make such a great mom and all these things. And I said, okay, I want to be the stepmom. And so uh, we, after the baby was born, I even went to the hospital and saw the baby. And a few months later, um, we move in together. Now, most of this is from... So many years ago that I don't remember exactly the time frame, but at some point after moving in together, might've been six months, might've been a year. There was a lot of shouting at this point, living in the same space. Uh, he had changed jobs, so he's working days at least, but there was a lot of feelings happening. And at one point he pushed me. And I had two older brothers and I learned that if someone pushes you, you push back. So I pushed him back and that made him even more mad. And, um, when you make someone even more mad who has a mental illness, which again, didn't, didn't know he was undiagnosed. And I think he was still undiagnosed until he passed away, but I really feel like he had a mental illness. And when someone is in that state and the adrenaline kicks in, they become hyper, hyper strong, right? The strength of 10,000 men go through them. And he pushed me down, pushed me down into a recliner. The recliner fell back and now he's on top of He's choking me. And I was like, what, what you're choking? Like, what is this? What did I do? How could I, what did I say that would make you do this to me? It's never think about him. And interestingly enough, I learned that um, over the years, I've learned from my healing process is that when people lie to you in the beginning, They'll use little, little tiny lies, little white lies, if you will, to not because they are, um, a compulsive liar, even though they are, what they're really doing is priming you. They're testing you. They're seeing if you'll forgive them and seeing what they can get away with. Because I forgave him for the little white lies of he lied about his age He lied about his job. He lied about where, what car he had. He would always drive his his sister's really nice sports car and played off like it was his. And, um, you know, and then he was like, oh, you know, I was just trying to impress you, blah, 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 blah. And I call it manipulating. And the reason they do that is so when the bigger lies come into play, you won't know what to believe. You'll be even more confused. And so about four years in to us living together, I get a phone call on uh, a message left on an answering machine, again, back in the day. And the message was from a woman who said, I don't know why you're with him. He's a married man to me. And we have two children together. And if you don't believe me, you can ask a sister. Oh, talk about gut punched talk about the wind taken out of my lungs uh the wind the breath taken out of my body uh what what do you mean married what do you mean uh, ask his sister what i see them all the time why didn't they tell me like what why didn't he tell me like what is going on here so of course i um waited for the right time and I questioned him and I believe I, he tried to joke me again. And then at some point police were called. Um, our landlord at the time was a detective on the police department. So he would always um my my ex boyfriend would always smooth it over with him like oh we're just roughhousing and you know you have such thin walls here that the neighbors hear everything us just walking across the floor so he they call the police at every little thing and um, yeah played him too so then at some point you know I I move out we break up. He doesn't know that he, I did all this well while we're he's at work. I I ran basically I hid, but I didn't change jobs because I didn't want to change jobs. Like I had done that before. I didn't want to do that again. I was in the height of my career. I didn't want to leave my corporate salon. And um, he showed up at work and begged me to come back. He showed up multiple times and begged me to come back and, you know, I change and promise me the moon. Promise me the world. Cause you know, that's what I was listening to. I wasn't listening to his actions. I was listening to his words, which is another thing over the years. I've learned how to, how to figure out is listen to people's words or listen to people's actions, not their words. So I finally, we decided to take him back, but I said, we're never living together again. And we were together every day. And, uh, it was just It was a lot. There were so many times where there were times where he held a gun to my head. There was a times where he choked me, where he put his thumbs in my eyes. Where I, when he was choking me, I had my hand in his mouth. I'm trying to rip his mouth open. I'm choking him back. I've got my thumbs in his eyes, trying to hurt him as well. Just so many things. It was exhausting it was brutal it was torture not to mention the verbal abuse the mental abuse the the controlling the lies the gaslighting the isolation him you know telling me none of my friends actually liked me threatening me that he was going to come kill my family if i ever left or call the police telling me i'm going to go to jail if i call the police because he has marks on him too Um, You know, I had scratch marks. He never punched me. It's not like the movies. They know what they're doing. He's not going to try to leave a mark that you can't cover up. He's going to make sure that you can cover it up. Because he doesn't want anyone to know. And, you know, then there's this whole, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll change. I'll quit drinking. I'll quit smoking. Whatever. Whatever the promises were. There was just... was a lot. It was so much. And then one day he was in a car accident. And again, I'm fluffing it (laughs) because it's so much that, uh, I'm in fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to record episode two of season nine and I'll go through the rest But I'll leave you with this before I do that. There is hope. um, There is recovery. There is healing in any trauma that you experience. So if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, just know that. Just know that there's hope. Just know that there there is a better life for you. There is love after trauma, after abuse. And that love isn't from another person. That love is from you. That love is from within. And that love is from God. I wouldn't have made it through if it wasn't for my relationship with God. And I will end on that note. Because in the next episode, you'll hear the rest of the story. So if you liked this episode, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, You can go to shaysparkspodcast.com. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback, you know, ask me a question. Uh, There is a place to leave a voicemail and I will even maybe use it on the air, figure out how to do that. But just know that, uh, you know, the reason I do all the things that I do is because of you, the listener, to encourage you, to inspire you and to empower you that if I can do and overcome all the things I have and so can you. So until next time, let's get fired up.